Thank you guys for leading us in song about the wonders of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Thank you so much. Would you all join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning and we are grateful that we don't come as mere ritual to sing or to pray or to celebrate for you are alive. You are like no other. The claims of Christianity stand in contrast to every world religion because we have one who has gone to the grave and has returned proving who he said he was. And he is not one that has left us alone, but has given us his spirit that dwells amongst us, that in fact dwells and dwells us as his followers. And these claims of your word are amazing. And we who have come to know you know of this true life that you have given us, regeneration from dead, from death, uh, that we were in, in our sins, that you have delivered us. And Lord, we are thankful this morning on this Resurrection Sunday to gather together to worship you and to celebrate the cross of Jesus and what it means. And it would have meant nothing had you stayed dead, but you rose from the grave for our justification. And we are thankful that you appeared to many, validating all that you had done and proving to many that you were indeed alive before you ascended into heaven many days later. Lord, we thank you that you are coming back again and that you have sent us out with this message, this proclamation of what is good news. Good news because our sin is atoned for and that a way has been made that we can find forgiveness at the cross, that we can be reconciled to God, that we no longer need to doubt whether you are there or not there, but Lord, you show yourself in and through what you have done. And so, Lord, we thank you. Our hearts are full this morning. We are grateful for what you are doing. God, we come to you asking that you would help us to worship this morning. Lord, we thank you for other churches in our community. We thank you for Baptist Home Baptist Church as well. We lift them to you. We thank you for them. We thank you for our sister churches and the Reformed Baptist Network. We lift up the Reformed Baptist Church of Rivers, Riverside this morning in California we thank you for Robert Elliott, that you would give him utterance this morning to speak your word, and Lord, that you would encourage that congregation there. Lord, we thank you for Christ alone, our church plant down in Wilkes County, that you would be with them this morning as they move into their new building and worship together for the first time in that building. Lord, that you would bless them, that you would encourage them. Thank you for what you're doing amongst them, Lord, and using us uh, just a small church to give birth to another church, and we thank you for that great joy. Father, we know that there's many around the world that are persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, and we lift them to you. We think of the saints in Colombia, South America this morning, many that are persecuted for their faith, uh, mainly by militant groups, and we ask that you would be with these churches, particularly in the rural areas that, Lord, you would help them to stand strong, and, Lord, that you would help them to persevere under persecution. Father, we know around the world that there are many that have never heard of you. There are billions that have not heard the name of Jesus in this generation. And so we lift up the Berber people of Morocco this morning, that you would send missionaries to them, that you would bring Bible translators to um, translate the scriptures into their language that they might hear of you. As we celebrate your resurrection almost 2,000 years ago, they have not yet heard of your coming. And so we pray that you would bring that to fruition, Lord, in this generation. God, we pray for uh, many troubled spots around the world. We lift up uh, the war in Ukraine, that you would be with both Russia and Ukraine, Lord, that you would bring a uh, settling of this uh, great um, conflict, Lord, that you would accomplish your purposes. We know that you know about war and that you warned us that there would be war. Uh, but Lord, we pray that you would bring many to faith in you because 
of what you are accomplishing there as you do what you please in the nations. Father, we pray too for Turkey and Syria, Lord, as they continue to recover from this earthquake and the many who have been, um, uh, had to be refugees from many cities, Lord, that have been decimated by this earthquake, that you would be with them. Lord, we lift up those who have lost their homes uh, even this last week from the tornadoes here in our country, down in Mississippi and other places in the Midwest. Lord, that you would be with them this Easter as they um, have lost all material items, that they would realize how thankful they must be for their own life and that, Lord, you would replace um, their lives with even maybe greater blessings than they have lost. So we pray that you would be with them and draw yourself near to them. Father, we pray for those who are grieving. The holidays are very difficult when we look at the table and we see an empty spot and we think of our loved ones that we miss so dearly. Lord, would you breed just thankfulness in our hearts for our times with them and to be thankful for the days that we have and those that sit with us and fellowship with us. So be with those that are grieving, Lord. We pray for those that are sick. We ask that you would be with them, that many that are um, just under the weather, that aren't feeling well, and we ask that you would heal them, Lord. Uh, we pray for Danny Richardson, Lord, as he um, goes in for more tests for uh, cancer treatment, and Lord, for um, others that are sick or traveling, Lord, that you would be with them. Father, we pray for our expectant mothers. We thank you for these precious children in the womb, that you would bring these babies not only to full term, but Lord, that there would be no complications in their delivery. We thank you for children, Lord, and what a blessing they are. Lord, we thank you for these mothers and how their lives are changing uh, to care for little ones and for these fathers, Lord, that you would give them great strength to lead their families well and teach their children. Father, we pray now as we look at your word, would you be glorified in not just the preaching of it, not just our examination of your word, and not just understanding it, but Lord, that we would apply it to our lives. For as we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's one thing to examine the facts, but it's another to believe them entirely and the implications that your resurrection has on our lives are altogether life-changing and exciting. And so, Lord, we ask for your help as we look to your word, Lord, as we examine it, as we interpret it, and as we apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. For those of you who are here each Sunday, we are going through the book of Genesis. It's exciting to see all the uh, Bible uh, chronicles concerning the beginning of all things. But during Easter here, we want to take a look at the resurrection. And it's awesome to see the beginning of ultimately the Christian faith as it spreads to the nations from this point. But those early hours of the first Sunday after the resurrection had many people that were bewildered. And so just in context of what has happened, I want to read um, uh, most of chapter 24 here, but we're just going to focus in on verse 13 through 27 uh, this morning. So would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the Mary, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. 
But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are having with each other uh, as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and, to cruci and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying what, that, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But as they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so they went in to stay with them, and he was at the table with them, and he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together, saying, The Lord has indeed risen and has appeared to Simon. And they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Have you ever witnessed an amazing event? Perhaps maybe a accident of some kind or maybe some uh, big thing that you have uh, witnessed in your life that you were an eyewitness to. Almost 43 years ago, a man named Dave Johnson witnessed something that he wasn't able to live to tell about. In fact, Dave Johnson worked with the U.S. Geological Survey, and on May 18, 1980, he was one of the first closest eyewitnesses to the Mount St. Helens eruption. His last words were, Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it, before the radio went silent. He was killed by the initial blast that came out of the side of the uh, mountain. It wasn't until 1993 that they found remnants of his survey center where he had been and his colleagues grieving his death. He was, in fact, over the course of many days, chronicling all the events leading up to the eruption of Mount St. Helens. And while many other were witnesses of it from a distance, he saw it firsthand. In fact, it was the last thing he saw in his life. We think about amazing things like that if you were to witness such a thing. But we see right here in the context of the words before us in the Gospels of Jesus, four different accounts of eyewitnesses to not just the resurrection, but Jesus' crucifixion. This is huge, especially in a postmodern age that we live in where people look at such stories and say, this is way too, too uh, good to be true. There's no way that the dead raise. 
There's no way that a man who lived in Nazareth 2,000 years ago that claimed to be the Son of God is in fact alive today. Well, Luke, a physician, a detailed chronicle, uh, chronicler of Jesus' life and ministry, says otherwise, along with the other gospel writers. In fact, he thinks it's so important to write these things about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that he adds the details of these very facts, of the witnesses of the resurrection. Even after many years of Jesus being risen from the dead, Paul himself became a witness of the resurrected Christ as Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. In fact, Paul later writes to the first Corinthians and he says these words. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you say, some of you, that there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Wow. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God raised Christ, whom in fact he did not raise, if it is true that the dead in fact are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He goes on. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have only hope in this life, we are all of all men to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Eyewitnesses bring validity to actual events. And while this itself, eyewitnesses or even recording of life events, doesn't necessarily mean a certain event happened, it's very interesting to note that all 500 that did witness Jesus' uh, resurrection all are saying the same thing. There wasn't, it wasn't that there wasn't confusion or doubting, as we'll see in our passage this morning. But do we believe these eyewitness accounts? According to Paul, it's extremely important that we understand this. Why? Because the very crux of the Christian faith rests on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so our text this morning, written by Luke, chronicles these things. In fact, when you look at these, we realize that Luke was actually so detailed in his accounts, he actually wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. Now, Paul wrote more books, but Luke wrote more words. So as the foremost writer of the, the most of the New Testament, Luke wanted to make a proper account to his dear friend, Theophilus. And so as we look here at this interaction between the risen Christ and these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, with their heads hanging down, discouraged that Jesus had gone from them, we find that just the opposite is true when he is done speaking to them. They are in fact overjoyed at Jesus's proximity to them and that their hearts, as the scriptures say here, burned within them. That they had true fellowship with one who had died and rose again. What about you this morning? Do you have fellowship with the risen Christ? And so let's look at this passage together. Let's look at this, this conversation that happens between Jesus and these two men. First of all, we're going to look at verse 13 through 16 and see that Jesus comes alongside them. He's walking with them. Secondly, we're going to see in verse 17 through 19 here that Jesus questions them. Thirdly, as he's walking with them, notice that Jesus listens to them and their concerns in verses 19 through 24. Fourthly, we're going to look at how Jesus rebukes them in verse 25 and verse 26. He, he's not only come alongside them, but he corrects them. He wants them to understand some things. And then lastly, Jesus teaches them in verse 27. If we had time, we could look at the rest of this chapter because surely what they hear, they go and proclaim to the brothers that they also are witnesses of the resurrected Christ. 
So let's jump in here. If you notice in the context of what we've already read in verse 1, it says that very day. It's important that the connection of the events of the first resurrection Sunday, that it's the first day of the week here. If we look at what happened, we know that Jesus was crucified on Friday afternoon. Um, Luke and John in John 19 chronicles this very well, that it was around three o'clock in the afternoon that Jesus died. And because of the uh, Jewish laws, they wanted to get him off the cross and into the grave before sundown before the Sabbath started. And so they got Jesus down, Joseph of Arimathea, and another man took him and put him in the grave. And they rolled a stone over it. It says that Joseph gave him his own grave that he had hewn out of stone. Notice in our text, too, that the women had experienced the first uh, uh, part of the empty tomb and told the disciples. Notice in verse 11 that originally the apostles thought it was an idle tale. Are you a doubter this morning? Well, you're in good company. Even the apostles of Jesus thought it was an idle tale when they first heard it. It's an awesome fact. Then Peter and John, notice here, go to the tomb. They go in and they're marveling at what has happened. Where in the world is the body of Jesus? And many would say, well, perhaps the stories of his body being stolen away are true. Well, the guards would have something to say about that in Luke's other parts of his account as well as Matthew and others. Romans didn't mess up when it came to guarding anything. Truly, it was an unforgettable day to those who witnessed these events. And Luke now takes the reader to these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. No other gospel writer um, chronicles this event, which is amazing. And so they're walking to Emmaus. If you're familiar with Jerusalem, it's up on a raised part. We call it a mount, but around here being in the mountains, it would be more of a hill. And then to the, um, to the other side of Jerusalem going inland is a road out to a small village called Emmaus. And these disciples were going out there and walking that direction. And so Luke records that these disciples are having this ex experience and talking about these facts and moving towards them and really walking in that direction it says that Jesus comes alongside of them. Look here at our text. Look at, this is amazing how he appears to them. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. It doesn't say how he appeared or if he came from behind, but either way, he drew near them and began to walk with them. But notice in verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. We should be encouraged from a passage like this, that no matter where we are and what we think about the risen Christ, Christ loves us enough to come alongside where we are, where we're walking, where we are thinking, the thoughts that we have, the perplexities in our minds, the confusion of our hearts. Jesus makes himself known. And while they were having a face-to-face -face encounter with the risen Christ, they didn't know it yet. Further, these two travelers substantiated a valid, valid witness of two or three that would witness any given event as the Jewish mind would encourage. So these two followers were probably had been in Jerusalem since Passover. They had celebrated the feast. They had experienced the drama of all that had happened with the crucifixion, and then they're disheartened and leaving the city. And the 11 were, uh, of course, had scattered and were back in, um, together in Jerusalem. And so these two men represent perhaps many that were commoners, that were experiencing these events from afar. And so they were interested in what happened but didn't know the meaning of all these things. Mark, the Gospel of Mark writer, he is the only other one to mention this occurrence, but not in such detail, as they did not believe their claim, and they were even rebuked for not believing these men. Notice here in verse 14 here that they were talking about the things that had happened that day. Again, they were referring to the first few verses of our chapter in verses 1 through 12 concerning what the women saw, that the tomb was empty and the grave clothes were lying by themselves. Truly something to talk about. They were discussing this, and, and yet Jesus draws near to them. 
Later here in this passage, we see that their eyes were opened, but not until then. In fact, in verse 32, they say that their hearts were burning within them as Jesus talked with them. And so we can be encouraged this morning that the risen Christ comes and meets us where we are at. But the truth is that when we meet him personally, we will never be the same. The question is, have you ever encountered the risen Christ? Not by sight per se, but by faith. Have you known him? Have you understood him to be who he claims to be? These two disciples were bewildered. And so perhaps you would find a very close um, friend here in these two men, that Christ comes alongside of them. They're bewildered. And notice now that not only are they slow to believe and they were slow to understand the scriptures and Jesus would correct them, which we'll get to in a moment, but he is ultimately trying to reveal to them who he is. You see, as we realize the New Testament writers speak of Jesus being not just the source of the Christian life, the means of the Christian life, but in fact is the goal of the Christian life. He is the treasure to be pursued. And if Christ is truly risen from the dead, is there anything more important? You think about these implications upon our lives. I've preached the gospel going close to two decades here, not at this church uh, solely, but even before that. My own ministry, much of my life would be in vain if Christ indeed is not risen from the grave. It has implications on our lives. If he is truly alive, then why is it that we remain the same? That this gospel of Jesus, if he is truly risen from the grave, it changes everything that we would understand about what it means to be human, what it means to be a new creation in Christ, what it means to take this message to the nations. And all of a sudden, if we realize these truths, we can understand why missionaries are so crazy to go to the furthest tribes and the deepest jungles to preach of this risen Christ. The majority of the New Testament speaks of the resurrection, let alone learning to walk with the risen Christ. Notice here in verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Perhaps this morning you've never recognized him because the Lord has not opened your eyes. It's true, the scriptures tell us, that God is the one who gives us the gift of faith. Ephesians tells us that, that he gives us the ability to look to him in faith, that we know that the fruits of his work in our lives is repentance and faith. Notice these two men, as they come to understand what, who it was that they were speaking to, all they could do is just run back to the city and tell the disciples. Oh, good, that's a six or seven mile run. But even more, Jesus desires to interact with these men revealing who he is. And many would say God is afar off, that he doesn't take time to reveal himself. But the gospels tell us otherwise, that while we didn't live in that first century, God became man. And this is where the glories of Christmas and the glories of Easter are connected, that Jesus came in human flesh both God and man. He represented God in his holiness and his holy character. He never sinned. He was a sinless, spotless sacrifice for our sin. And he died and he rose again. And in, in seed form, this is what we call the gospel. And why is it such good news? Because we are no longer seen in our sin, but God himself has taken our sin and replaced it with his righteousness. Why? Because he is the only one able to do so. Jesus not only walks with them here in this point, but we see now that as he comes close to them, that we see that he also questions them. You ever been questioned by God? Here's a question for them. Look at verse 17. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Now we know that from the scriptures, God knows all things. In fact, for many of us that catechize our children, we ask this very question, does God 
see all things? Yes. Can God be seen? No. But God sees all things and he knows all things because he's God. But notice here that Jesus stoops to their level. He doesn't, he's not just walking with them, but he engages them. He questions them. He wants to know what's going on in their minds. He wants to hear from their lips. Isn't this an awesome reminder that he sympathizes with our weaknesses? Passages like this blow right in the face of those who would say that God doesn't draw near to mankind. It's exactly the opposite in this text. Jesus is very close, and he very much cares what is going on in the human mind, and he cares about your mind this morning. He knows what you think. He knows your doubts. He knows your fears. He knows your sin. He knows it all. And notice he questions these two. He wants them to know, and he wants to talk with them. He wants to know what they're wondering about. And notice what they, their response is when Jesus asks his questions of them. They stood still and looked sad. Now, why is this? We need to back up a little bit to explain this. Their walk turns to a standstill because this stranger asked them this question. Why, in fact, are you sad and disheartened? And we see now, at this point, one of the disciples is mentioned by name, Cleopas. Now, we don't know a lot about Cleopas, but one tradition actually says that he's the uncle of Jesus, and we get this connection from John 19, 25, not trying to distract you, but trying to identify this man. In John 19, 25, it says that he's the husband of Mary, the sister of Jesus' mother, Mary, not to be confused with that mother. If you look at the resurrection accounts, everybody's named Mary, so it's kind of uh, easy. Um, it's either Mary or John, it seems like. So others say that Cleopas and, and Clopas are different, but either way, we see this man uh, believed in Jesus, was very aware of what Jesus was doing. And, and so look, they respond to Jesus' question with a question. Look at what they ask. Are, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? In a way, Jesus is playing dumb. Tell me about it. He wants to hear it as well. Apparently, the events surrounding Christ's death and resurrection were extremely popular. This wasn't just a small amount of people that heard about this. This rumbled all the way through the city. There was nothing like it. If you read the accounts of John 19, there had been a huge earthquake. In fact, others had risen from the grave after the temple veil was torn in two. The religious leaders would have been a mess. The temple veil torn in two, what did that represent? It was the holy of holies. We as sinful people could not go through that and go to the holy of holies. It was the very presence of God. And the temple had been, the veil had been torn from top to bottom. Can you imagine if you were a religious leader watching over the temple in those days? All that was holy seemed to be brought into question. So earthquakes disaster at the temple, people supposedly rising from the dead, prophesying. Jesus, are you the, the stranger that's walking with it? Are you the only one that hasn't heard about these things? Don't you read the Jerusalem Post? Apparently, this was a large scale. So people that would say that it was just a few followers that saw Jesus um, or were witnesses of the resurrection, it's simply not true. This is a huge event. And what's Jesus' response to him with another question? What things? Don't you love that? He's so personable. He's drawing them out. This is a precious response here of our Lord. He presses in to give them his time to secure their attention, to show his concern for their slowness and bewilderment. He's patient with their doubting. He understands their concerns. What about you this morning? Are you bewildered about the claims of Jesus Christ? Are you bewildered about who this Jesus is? Are you bewildered that he indeed claims to have risen from the dead and appeared to many? Do you question his call of being the Messiah, the promised one? the sovereign God from eternity past? Well, you're in good company. 
You're in good company with these two disciples. And not only did he walk with them, not only did he question them. Now look at our third point. Jesus now listens to them. Look at verse 19. End of verse 19. It says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how their chief priests, rulers, delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us, and they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it to be just as the women said, but him they did not see. So Jesus is listening to their account of what they have heard. It's now third-hand knowledge. But why is it that they're sad? Notice they, they're sad because they were hoping that he would be the one that would redeem Israel. Do you see the expectation here of the Jewish mind? You see, the Messiah was expected to be a political leader, and they had followed him. Remember, he had fed thousands of people, the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus' popularity had grown. And then when he began to teach about what it meant to follow him as a disciple, when he began to teach that he must be, go to Jerusalem, that he would die and rise again, his popularity began to drop off even to the point a year before he actually was crucified, his following was a lot smaller than in the early days of his miraculous events. And so what these brothers expected was that Jesus, being a political Messiah, would have overthrown Rome. In fact, it would have been a perfect place to go, to Jerusalem, to disenthrone Rome and their power and set up his kingdom and from there conquer what was then known as Israel. But that didn't happen. In fact, Jesus had prophesied this and they hadn't listened before, but that he went and died. What kind of leader goes into a city that he is supposed to be the king of and dies in that city? It sounds more like he's being conquered than rather he's a conqueror. But something that they failed to understand is just like Zechariah had promised in and prophesied in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So either they are completely right that Jesus did not redeem and didn't do what he had claimed that he would do, or Jesus is exactly right, he's exactly on time, and he is redeeming his people, but it just means something different than what they understood. And this is exactly where Jesus goes from it. You do not yet understand what the purpose of me going to the cross and dying and rising again, and he hasn't even revealed who he is yet. But we need to see this, that they were bewildered to understand that how could a leader do such a thing? Well, it makes sense when we understand that Jesus' mission was primarily a spiritual one. And while he was in the flesh, he had to go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. As the scriptures say, he who knew no sin became sin. For us. This is what makes Easter so personal because it was our sin that put him on that cross. And yet it's for our good that he rose from the grave. Jesus, in fact, has redeemed his people, just not in the way that they expected. Many expected this, but he has done this in accomplishing the Father's business. Remember when he was in the garden? He said, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And so these two were saddened by what had happened to Jesus. What about you? Do you have expectations that Jesus would be different? Maybe some of you have a past with Jesus. Maybe you have made a profession of faith in the past, and yet you're questioning today, if Jesus is really risen, why does it seem like he's so far off? Perhaps you've thought about this before and considered what it is that Jesus is doing. Does he really care about me? Why hasn't he appeared to me and walked, walked alongside with me? 
And yet we're given such a beautiful passage such as this to remind us that he is near and that he does care. Perhaps he does want to attract and captivate our attention. Perhaps he does want to have a conversation with us and consider what is going on in our minds. And so we see here that this true Jesus is not one who is short-sighted in redeeming us. In fact, it's full and complete in every way. And he wants to correct them and tell them this. So look at the middle of verse 21. They go on to say that it's now been three days since all these things have happened. And they again speak of all that had happened and what the Marys saw at the empty tomb, including Peter. And so it doesn't share everyone's name that was there, but it's uh, recorded here um, at the beginning of the chapter about who were the first witnesses to the resurrection. So he clearly listens to these disciples sharing their story and their experience. And so we see Jesus' close encounter with them takes yet another turn. And this is that Jesus rebukes them. And our fourth point, look at verse 25. He questions them and he listens to them, but now he rebukes them. Look at verse 25. It says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You know, one of the fearful things for us when we have an encounter with the risen Christ is understanding how awesome he truly is, how holy he really is as he reveals who he is. Is this not why Paul on the road to Damascus, when the risen Christ appears to him, that he is expelled from his horse? that he is blinded and is unable to see for multiple days. Notice here the explanation or the exclamation here in verse 25 that he's calling out to them that they're slow of heart. He's rebuking their unbelief, their understanding, their slowness. It's one thing to read and know the prophets, but believing is yet another thing. How worthless for us this morning to look at this text, to know the facts of the resurrection, to understand the chronology of what happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then walk out of here not believing it. When this is the point of Luke writing this, he wanted to write these things that we would believe, that we would walk out of here as believers in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it changes everything. This whole book stands in contrast to whether Christ rose or did not rise. And so it's utterly important, but also exciting for us to consider what he is teaching these two disciples. But even these were questioning They were questioning whether these things were true. You see, dear friend, it is important what we believe. But every day, people drop into the pit of hell believing the Bible. And what do I mean by that? We can believe that God exists. We can believe the right facts. But even the Apostle James says that the demons believe and tremble. Think about that for a moment. So saving faith is not just about knowing facts or believing something happened, but it's ultimately looking and realizing that this has implications in your life, that you believe that Jesus died and rose again, not just for other people, some ethereal people out there that he's redeeming, but for you. He's speaking to you. He's coming alongside you. This is why you're under the preaching of the word this morning. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to look to him in faith and repentance. And this is the work of God's Spirit. The Apostle John says this about Jesus when he was teaching on the Holy Spirit. He says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Think about that in the context of him explaining to these two disciples here. Peace I leave to you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, 
for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may what? Believe. Jesus told them beforehand all that would happen. And not just so they would know the chronology, but that they would believe. And so Jesus follows rebuking with this exclamation here, but then a question. You see, he wanted them to understand what the Messiah was to do. And notice that he begins to explain to them God's plan of redemption. And notice from where? From the Old Testament. It's all that existed at the time. Luke's writing, chronicling these things many years later after Jesus' death and resurrection, but he begins to explain from Moses on concerning all that Jesus was. Why? Because he wanted them to realize that there was a foreign invader in their lives far greater, far more deadly than Rome was, far more of a threat than their peace would be from this great world power. It was sin. And sin had to be dealt with and that he was even to be going to the cross to deal with an enemy far even greater than Satan himself. You see, Satan can only do so much. Surely he can tempt us, but he can't sin in our place. And no one here this morning is under judgment from God because of something someone else did, let alone Satan's tempting of us. It's ultimately our sin that leads us to death. And Jesus is coming alongside of them, reminding them from the scriptures that the purpose that the Messiah had come was to deal with this great enemy, sin, which brought death. And the very fact that he took a sin upon himself and died and conquered, and it's on the other side of this victory that he comes alongside of them. He's just holding back, and we know he is. You see how humble he is. He could have appeared in all of his glory before these two men and said, I am the Christ, I'm arisen. But he comes alongside of them. And so we see here that Jesus wanted to explain in very deep detail as they walked. We don't know when he came along, but a seven-mile walk is a long way. And he explained to them the scriptures as we see later on that their hearts were burning within them as they went. So his rebuke stands out to them. Why are they slow to believe? Are you slow to believe because Jesus doesn't do for you what you expected? Maybe you have unanswered prayers that have challenged your belief in God. Maybe some disheartening thing has come into your life that causes you to question the goodness, character, or even the nature of God. Perhaps the death of a loved one Perhaps another tragic event that how could a loving God allow such cruel things in this fallen world? But you see here this unseen enemy that Jesus came to conquer, sin, makes an example but also brings explanation to a world that is lost and undone and in chaos because of human rebellion against the Almighty. Acts chapter 17, Paul mentions both suffering and the resurrection of Jesus. And the apostles come to understand that the teaching of Christ is underlined on this very fact that he overcame sin. That he was a conqueror first as a lamb and then as a lion. That we cannot selectively choose which part of the Bible that we're going to believe. And so Jesus walks these disciples through the scriptures to understand properly what it means to be the Messiah and what he did in his suffering and his dying and his rising again on their behalf and ultimately his heavenly mission. That this is what he was explaining. And so this takes what is dead and mediocre of their thoughts and rises out of the, the ashes of their own minds to see this glorious resurrected Christ for who he really is, that he's walking beside them. And so what about us? That Jesus comes to them and wants to make himself known to them. That he comes and comes alongside in this way. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, that therefore as we received Christ Jesus the Lord, so we're called to walk in him. And what does Paul mean by that? He means that just as we have received Christ by faith, we're to continue in him by 
faith. It's so simple yet profound that God delivers from sin and he asks us to look to him and believe on him that he indeed is our substitute, that he indeed paid the price for our sin, that we are called to look to him in faith. And if we believe that and we believe that Christ has risen from the grave, the scriptures say that we indeed are saved. What? Saved from what we say? What we see here, we're saved from sin. And if we're saved from sin, therefore the very penalty of sin is taken care of. And yes, while we live in a sinful world, we know that one day that Christ himself has promised that we will one day be free from the very presence of sin. And so the condemnation of the enemy, our sin is taken away. And these two brothers are coming to understand this. But notice when we're not understanding these things, notice that they're sad. Notice they were in despair, not understanding these things. You see, condemnation brings doubt, discouragement, depression, despair. From the firm rebuke, this, the, the Lord here leads them to a foundation of faith, to fearlessness, to freedom, to understand God and his character, who he is and what he did by sending Christ to them. And so he's walking with them, he's questioning them, he's listening them, he's rebuked them. And then our final point here, notice that Jesus teaches them in verse 27. He teaches them in a deeper way. Notice he says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that he interpreted to them. So it's not just, just telling them the facts here, but he interprets the scriptures to them concerning himself. I love this because Jesus is modeling, he's the master expositor. He is teaching them the word and he's opening the scriptures to them. Someone who teaches the Bible well, not just walks through a text, but explains what it means and then applies it. And notice Jesus does this masterfully here. Notice where he begins. He begins with Moses. This is what we call the first five books of the Bible. So he begins to walk through the law explaining that. And then the prophets that, that there's multiple prophecies concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus that time does not allow for us to look at this morning. But he interpreted all these to them concerning himself. Remember, Moses taught about the law of God, showed God's holiness, his character, his moral standard that mankind has failed in, showing a very need for the gospel. And then Jesus shows him even, shows him even further in the prophets we don't know which prophets he went to, but most likely Isaiah and others that, that speak of his crucifixion, his resurrection. And so he opens this up to him. And little did these two disciples know that they would be chronicled forever in the writing of the New Testament as witnesses to the resurrection of the risen Christ. To come alongside the common man in his own reading as we read through the book of Luke to consider for ourselves that all scripture indeed is God-breathed and useful for teaching as Jesus taught these disciples. And so Christ reveals to them his word. And notice that this is important for our understanding because maybe you're here this morning saying, you know what, if Jesus appeared to me, I would be a believer too. If Jesus appeared to me like he appeared to Paul or like these guys on the road to Emmaus, I'd be a believer too. But notice that Jesus hadn't even appeared to them yet. He didn't even make himself known yet in this point in the text. And what does he do to proclaim himself? The scriptures. The preaching of the cross through the scriptures is sufficient to bring even the the most lost person to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is so important in the way that we as believers share our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's all kinds of gimmicks and things that we'd like to do to emotionally bring people to an understanding or even a decision of faith when right here in the text, Jesus himself is modeling expository preaching. He cares about his word. He's passionate about it. Why? Because he wants to be seen for who he is. He wants every mind to be clear about who he claims to be, and he wants every heart to look to him in faith and to realize he too is coming close to you and walking alongside you. It's awesome to look at this. His word is sufficient. It's right here in this text. He opened to them the scriptures. Have you ever been reading along in the Bible and said, wow, never seen that before? 
That is the work of the Spirit of God bringing us to faith in Him. So when we wrestle with understanding and believing all that God has done in Christ, Christ is patient in this way to show us. And He made this investment through authors like Luke and others to chronicle these very things. So as we think about these things, so what? Here we are, Easter 2023. The question becomes, what is it in our minds that we would like to discuss with the risen Christ? Do these disciples share some of the same concerns that you have? That Christ is indeed near you. Have you heard his questions, his rebuke, his teaching? What about you? Do you fellowship with the risen Christ? He doesn't want you to merely marvel at the story of the resurrection, to even understand these great facts, but he wants you also to have new life. He also wants your uh, heart to burn as we see here in this text with these two disciples. He wants us, as Peter says, to be born again to a living hope, a hope that passes not just in this life, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, but a hope that goes beyond the grave, that he assured that we could have because of his resurrection. You see, the hope of the gospel is not nearly just for this life. It goes on into eternity. And so Jesus doesn't just come close to us this morning because he's not just concerned about your todays. He's not just concerned about your tomorrow or even the rest of your life. He's concerned about your eternity. He's concerned about a thousand years from now because we will be alive a thousand years from now. The question is where? Because the scriptures tell us that all the dead will be raised, some to judgment and some to everlasting life. So how kind is it? of this awesome, holy God to come alongside you and me this morning to listen to our doubts, to listen to where we are at, to understand our pain, to understand our sin, and to beg us to come to him. And in fact, commands us to come to him that we might have life. So Paul says this in Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. If then you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The hope of the gospel is something that cannot be held to ourselves. Notice that you follow on the rest of the passage. Where did these disciples go? They couldn't, after Jesus appeared, appeared to them and revealed who he was and broke bread with them, where did they go? They went right back to Jerusalem. They had to tell someone. What about you this morning? Are you a witness of an awesome event? Surely Dave Johnson would have said, if he were with us today to speak of the, the massive power of an explosion from a volcano when Mount St. Helens blew. But how much more are we here looking at this text of an amazing occurrence that changed all of human history? And if only there were a radio then, perhaps even believers in those early days would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, here it is. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We come to you with amazement. As we look into a passage like this, and we see chronicled before us an amazing account of the disciples walking, bewildered and sad. And you, the risen Christ, with nail-scarred hands, having been to the other side and back, came alongside of them. You understood them. You cared for them. And not only did you teach them, but then you revealed yourself to them in all your glory. And they returned to Jerusalem with great excitement. Lord, my prayer this morning would be that we would all look with fresh eyes upon your gospel, that we would believe Lord, if there's one here that is doubting, 
How can these things possibly be? Lord, would you be near that one this morning? Would you draw them to yourself? Lord, would you bring about their new life? Lord, we're desperate. Without you, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. You must come. You must turn our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. You must give us the ability to to trust you and to believe you. And we know that that breeds fruit in faith and repentance. You'd help us to believe all the things that the scriptures say concerning the Son of God. Lord, that you would help us to enjoy you and to walk with you, maybe for the first time, like never before. Lord, my prayer is that we would walk out of this building different than when we came in, because we have met the risen Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.